Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression and we tell you more about the history of it. How have you been? The world is changing so much and many of us are planning to exercise more than even when we make our New Year resolutions to get fit. Can you believe that? Well, today we have a very powerful metaphor chosen by our guest, the American award-winning model, philanthropist and author Cameron Parker. Her metaphor is, I walk my walk and my talk is as authentic and as bold as my walk. I think that this one really resonates with our guest's unique life story. Stay with me to find out how. But before we take a look into today's phrase and its origin, I also want you to listen carefully to when I talk about walking and talking. I must say that finding out about this metaphor has been a real eye-opener, but you have to listen carefully. So I hope you stay with us. of life, most of us will attain two great accomplishments, our first steps and our first words. The abilities to walk and talk then quickly become essential for navigating everyday activities. For most, walking becomes second nature by the age of two. Movements become unconscious. Unless you're an actor, a model or an athlete, you're unlikely to think about how exactly your feet should adhere to the ground or how you should distribute your weight when you take a step. Talking, on the other hand, is a skill we can always get better and better at. Some are especially talented when it comes to saying the right words at the right time. Others find it difficult to introduce themselves in a social situation. But anyone can say that talking sounds much more elaborate than walking as a skill. Why is it then that so many phrases, idioms and metaphors warn us that talk is cheap, that someone can be all mouth or that all they can do is talk a good game? Talking your talk is one thing, but you can only show what you're really made of when you walk your walk. Let me metaphorically walk you through the turns this phrase has taken since it first emerged. The first use of the expression can be found in an Ohio newspaper from 1921 called Mansfield News. I quote, Although he has no gilded medals upon his bosom, Howard Herring of the North American Watch Company walks the walk and talks the talk of a hero today. Unquote. The original American expressions walking the walk and talking the talk imply that there's a right talk to be talked and that you're talking it. And the same goes for the walks you're walking. Walking the walk, like the many phrases we've talked about, expresses that, as yet another expression goes, words must be put into action, that actions speak louder than words. It can be said, for example, that sometimes politicians don't walk their talk. A 2014 study has found that 83% of voting Americans 
didn't believe that politicians would keep their promises. Surprisingly, several studies by political scientists found that over the last half century, politicians did keep around 70% of their promises in most of the Western world. But keep in mind, this was before Trump. The former president made that number drop to 23%. Why is it then that humans are automatically suspicious that people won't walk the walks they talk about? Is it a reflection of our own insecurities? Surely it comes from our knowledge that we are capable of lying. And why does bragging exist in the first place? In a very recent study published in the Journal of Personality, researchers attempted to determine when it is a good idea to brag and concluded that it's almost always counterproductive socially. I think my confidence is what people have noticed is is very high. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. My, my mental part is uh, bulletproof, so whatever I would do, I would be the one I am today, so I'm just... Does, does this I'm just upset? like, I chose football, and uh, I'm sorry for the other fans that is cheering for the other sports, because it would be the same thing. Benjamin Franklin is thought to be the one who popularised the expression, well done is better than well said. And in 1594, in Shakespeare's Richard III, a character simply called the first murderer says, Fear not, my lord, we will not stand to prate. Talkers are no good doers, be assured. We come to use our hands and not our tongues. So it's always been clear that talkers aren't always doers, but that only explains half of today's phrase. So what is it about walking? In the book Wanderlust, A History of Walking, the academic Rebecca Solnit suggests, and I quote, the rhythm of walking generates a rhythm of thinking, unquote. You can try the experiment yourself. Notice how the speed of your thoughts and the way they are chained change if you're lying on the sofa from when you're going for a run. Often creatives and philosophers prefer to walk while thinking, They prefer it to sitting still as it seems to generate better ideas. Aristotle's followers continued to follow his method of lecturing and discussing philosophy while walking long after his passing. Nietzsche used his strolls and hikes for thinking. Kant used them as a moment to clear his mind. He would refuse to have anyone come along with him because he believed that breathing through his nose had great health benefits and company would mean opening his mouth to talk. My guest this week is Cameron Parker, fashion model, speaker, philanthropist and now writer. Cameron's health has forced her to adapt from walking runways for designers such as Vera Wang and Giorgio Armani to living with MS. I'm sure you'll see just how badass she really is. What are the main reasons that you decided to write Model Patient? In a nutshell, I wanted something good to come out of something so bad. Uh, I had to, for my own survival, I had to really dig deep and really 
dive in and think, I know I'm not the only one that is facing trials and tribulations, but as someone that is perceived of having it all, I really am taking people on the inside and looking at the tattered, frayed seams of haute couture and taking them into a very dark, scary place that whether you're a model or whether you are just a, an extraordinary mom, uh, a powerful woman um, or man that's out in the business world, or um, whether you, any walk of life is going to be able to relate very much to the trials and tribulations that I faced. And um, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm shining a light on the frayed seams of really kind of the inside of what I've been going through the last 11 months. So for people who are not aware of you in terms of who you are, what you did, because our audience is largely a UK audience, I'm sure they would have heard of you because as soon as I read about you, I thought, oh, yes, I do. But to, you know, the listener who isn't aware of the scene, they're not into fashion and so on, how would you describe yourself uh, I definitely would describe myself as an edgy Southern belle with a larger-than-life laughter, a big, genuine smile. I always want people to remember me for my good heart um, and, you know, that's blessed with some great fashion style. But truly, um, I'm on this planet to give back. I always say that giving is the best medicine around. And for me, it has kept me alive in the most troubling times. I've also have survived a lot of adversity. I worked uh, successfully as a model. Uh, and in 1998, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I had to keep my diagnosis a secret because I had to turn out uh, an incredible amount of money to pay for my ongoing treatment for the rest of my life. And so what I really kind of set out to do uh, when I went public with my diagnosis is I wanted to make sure that we can get to a cure faster for multiple sclerosis because there is no cure. No two MS patients are alike. And by putting a face on it, I'm a walking stat. So I don't have to look and think about what is happening for those of us that have MS. I just did it as a big secret in the fashion and beauty industry. And as you know, the fashion and beauty industry is full of secrets by holding the biggest one around. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, people will say that when you have uh, an illness like MS, you, you must mm -hmm. be able to speak to someone. Did you have someone who you could talk to I did. Uh, my doctor, along with my parents, um, we put together this dynamite team. There was only a few family members that knew. I had to actually keep it a secret from my diagnosis date of January of 1998 until I went public in 2009. Uh, it's very interesting and very, very important to know that my medical team around me was keeping me alive, but had to participate in keeping this a secret. Uh, my doctor went to extraordinary levels to uh, organize where and when I would receive my weekly treatments. This was in every city, 
every single week, sometimes different cities, different countries, every single week. It was an enormous undertaking, yet we, we did it. And we it was a dialed in tight team. I was able to talk to him. I had a very good open communication with my doctor as well as with my parents. Um, the lockdown, it was so important. Whether you have family dynamics or friends that you consider family, it is crucial. It is so crucial that you have that support system because everybody goes through tough times and you do need your posse or your tribe or you know, your, your gaggle of friends to be around you to support you in the good days and also in the dark days. But did you have any warning signs that you had MS? And of course, uh, recently you suffered um, a heart attack. Did you have any warnings? What are, what are the symptoms? So I actually had several symptoms of having MS, but I thought uh, I could write them off as, you know, the questions that were posed to me were, did I have fatigue? Yes, I had fatigue. I'm on and off airplanes as a model. I'm going from fashion week to fashion week, from country to country. Yeah, I might be a little bit tired. Uh, did I have any numbness? Well, I don't have a lot of padding on my derriere, so I might have a little numb bum <laughs> uh, from time to time. Uh, did I trip? Uh, well, sometimes they put me in some crazy shoes on the runway that might happen. So lots of things I thought were perfectly fine answers were actually symptoms that I was being, uh, that were coming on as MS. Now I want to fast forward to, I've suffered four heart attacks in the last 11 months. My first one being a widow maker. Now here in the United States, one out of five women drop dead of heart failure every year. If you are a woman with MS, that number is 3.5 out of five women will die from heart failure. All MS patients, unfortunately, have a mutated gene that shows up in our heart wall muscle. Not every MS patient is going to have a heart, heart attack or heart failure. Unfortunately, my heart attacks, I am an MS patient. MS did not cause my heart attacks, uh, unfortunately, due to my marriage falling apart and uh, some awful things that happened to me and that I survived, uh, that that was the cause of it. But treating a cardiac patient that has MS is extraordinarily difficult. It's extraordinarily difficult because we don't, MS is a snowflake disease. No two MS patients are alike. So it makes treating cardiac issues very, very, very difficult. Now, you mentioned that your heart attack was not connected to the MS. It was more on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Did you think that what you were going through could be that stressful that it would cause a, a heart attack? I wasn't prepared to what happened to me on October 2nd of 2019. I was um, ambushed. Um, I was ambushed by a person that um, my husband knew. It was one of my husband's prostitutes. And he, she came after me. Um, 
and the stress and the enormity of what happened on that day. Um, I was unconscious when I was rushed by ambulance into the trauma unit at uh, the closest hospital. And the only thing they could get out of me because I was unconscious, um, they couldn't even get my name. They didn't, there's a lot of things were told back to me, but they told me that um, they asked a couple of questions and the only thing I uttered was my husband hurt my heart. And um, I was put on protection from the hospital. I was under a Jane Doe situation. My husband um, is an out of control addict and um, he was so out of control. He didn't even call my parents when I had my widow maker. And so um, when I was being wheeled in for heart surgery, I remember praying. <laughs> I remember asking God um, that I thought I'd been a really good servant and to tell my parents how much I love them. Uh, apparently God has a sense of humor and said, your job on this planet is not done. Um, and plus my closet is not finished. I don't have enough room for you yet in your clothes, your shoes. Uh, so. So um, I have survived. Um, 14 days later, after my Widowmaker, I had my secondary um, myocardial infarction. July 5th of 2020, I suffered my third heart attack and my second heart surgery. This is during COVID. I made it in and out of the hospital without having COVID. Uh, September 17th of 2020, I suffered my fourth heart attack and my third heart surgery again during COVID. I live in Arizona where uh, COVID at that time was the hotspot of the world. And having my third and fourth heart attacks and having heart surgeries on both of those, I'm lucky that I made it out alive, not only from my heart condition, but that I didn't track COVID while I was in the hospital. What do you put it down to having all these uh, operations uh, so close mm -hmm. to each other? Why, why do you think that you battle through? I really think that my job on this planet is not done. I think I'm going to be making a shift and showing people that I've had all of this awful awful adversity and I faced it head on all the while going through a very tumultuous awful divorce uh, as long as I keep moving forward and not giving up I have to get up the chance of getting up is always there it's when you give up that chance is gone that chance is gone. So as long as I keep trying to move forward and making sure that I have the tools and surround myself with enormous support, I'm enormously blessed with my family and friends. Um, each one of them are a fantastic thread that when woven together creates an incredible one of a kind tapestry that I wrap around myself. And it's it's my protection, it's my health, it's my life, it's, it's beauty. 
um, with the strength that I get from that, it helps me to move forward. And I, that's why I penned a model patient is that I needed something good to come out of something so bad and, you know, shining the light on not everything is all rosy and perfect that all of us have trials and tribulations. And, um, as long as we keep moving forward, and like I say, I'm going to keep moving forward every single day. I'm going to wear really super cute shoes, <laughs> really super cute shoes, because I'll always look at those shoes. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry to cut you, but I'm just dying to ask you, how many shoes do you have? I mean, being in fashion, <laughs> yeah, I, a listener, she's covering her face. <laughs> With both hands. <laughs> All right. So how many shoes does Miss Cameron have? I have, I believe, 391 pairs of shoes right now in my closet. Oh, my God. It's a lot. Yeah, she's still covering her face. She knows so, it's a lot. Wow. Okay. And the other question I've been dying to ask is who chose the name for your book, Model Patient? It's just so right. I did. Because you always hear like, oh, she's the perfect role model or, you know, you know, model this or whatever. And I just wanted it, you know, you hear, well, I've been told I'm a model patient while I've been in the hospital because I have my little monogram pajamas on and everything. And so I went, model patient, a model patient. I love it. I love it. And it will take you through the darkness all the way to current and um, it's one heck of a journey that's for sure that everybody will be able to relate to. Oh man, I, I can't wait to read it. I know uh, it's, it's out soon, right? Uh, we are looking at hopefully a November, December drop date, but I promise you I will get you an advanced copy. <laughs> oh, thank you, because I'm going to be at you and your agent. I'm not gonna let this one go. <laughs> How does our metaphor or the metaphor that you chose, I love it. I walk my talk and my talk is as authentic and hold as my walk. How does that reflect your life or your work, your life's work? Uh, the metaphor walks, it's basically talk my walk and walk my talk. Uh, I've been told I have a very big, larger than life walk. So is my talk. I raise a lot of money and awareness. So combined, if we flip it, I want my walk to be as authentic as my talk is basically the same way. Anything I say, I walk it, I believe it. Uh, everybody should have basically pull your bootstraps up, walk your talk, talk your walk. It's so vitally important. It's, it's, it's the cornerstone of my, my life. And what advice have you given others based on your life experiences that people seem to relate to the most? Uh, never, ever, ever give up. Modern medicine can keep us alive, but what modern medicine doesn't do is it does not give us life. We each other give each other life. Within the, the main reasons that you decided to write um, Model Patient. Did you find out something about yourself that you didn't know? Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, I, 
I found out that I could laugh and cry uh, and be extraordinarily raw. And I didn't really care if I was going to be judged for it. You know, sometimes people think that you can just throw shade on somebody and uh, that it's okay. And at that point, I really didn't care. Uh, I guess that's called in my badass attitude. <laughs> um, but that uh, those around me really supported me. And I really realized, um, I found out what I was a good daughter. I found out that I was a really good, strong, dependable friend because everybody just dropped everything and surrounded me with support and love and got on airplanes and came across the country and what can we do? What can we do? And so that I really think with resilience, um, I always like to say if, what resilience is to me is silence. I rise. Uh, I am rising every single day. As long as I stay up and not take a dirt nap, <laughs> I'm good. Thank you, Cameron, for being so open with us, and I wish you all the best with your book. It's so interesting to hear from someone whose walk defined her career. Let's carry on thinking about our walks and how they could possibly define us. Why does walking your talk imply that walking is so genuine, so authentic. Hands are even more obviously associated with work than legs, and you wouldn't tell someone to put their hands where their mouth is. That would just be odd. So why is walking synonymous with authenticity? The answer might be fascinating. In the book, What Everybody Is Saying, Joe Navarro, an ex-FBI agent, tells us how to read people by observing their body language. It turns out the popular belief that eyes don't lie is actually a misconception. It's by looking at people's feet that experts catch the best liars when they have something to hide. This is maybe because liars don't expect people to look at their feet when talking to them and focus their attention on controlling their facial expression and their speech. Someone might be able to put on their best poker face even when they feel vulnerable, but if you notice their feet crossing under the table, that might mean they are feeling insecure. If you're talking to a group of people and you're all standing up in a circle, your feet might be unconsciously pointing towards the person you're most attracted to. When you put these very expressive feet in motion, you get almost an entire language of walking. Walking styles are as unique as physical appearance. Specialists like Patty Wood and Elliot Hope have established connections between characteristics of walking styles and people's moods, personality and even origins. Patty Wood claims that there are three clear categories of walking styles that most people always walk using a combination of two of the four. The drivers tend to walk fast, 
leaning forward and often doing other things while walking, like talking on the phone or texting. They're also likely to walk ahead of others and expect them to keep up. The second type, the influencers, tend to take large steps, walk lively and rather fast and interact with what's around them, especially people. They are unusually extroverts, of course. The supporters have a good posture, walk at a steadier pace and with a bit of a swagger. They tend to be people that value relationships over careers, but also people that get easily distracted. The fourth category are the correctors. They usually lean forward and look down. They walk closer to walls, further away from the edges and take slow and cautious steps. They might simply be introverts, but this kind of posture might also indicate depression. Then there are the styles of walking that are more recommended than others. Walking slowly and crossing your arms seem to be more dangerous for people walking alone at night in dangerous areas as it conveys vulnerability. And generally speaking, walking with your chin up, chest out, shoulders relaxed and back straight is always good for your physical and mental health. In Great Britain, one out of five adults and one out of, oh, got that wrong, sorry, one out of six adults and one out of five children, I'm, I'm talking children under 18, at any time has clinical depression. It costs the National Health Service of Great Britain 235 million pounds a year to take care of people that have clinical depression. There was a massive, massive study that was done. 35,000 people. Half were prescribed the typical antidepressant. The other half were prescribed a placebo, which is a sugar pill, and prescribed walking. Can you guess what the results were? The people that had the sugar pill and were prescribed walking completely outperformed the people that were on the antidepressants. So walking is not only good for your physical, it's terrific for your mental health. But this is where it gets really interesting. Another study focuses on the assumptions people make when watching others walk, and not exactly the walk itself. People were filmed walking without their knowledge so that they wouldn't act out their walks. They also had to wear the same clothes and their faces were hidden. Then participants had to guess how their personalities were from their walking style. The most surprising part was how specific the assumptions were, with statements like pretentious, with no foundation for it, or inwardly insecure, tries to appear secure to others. But your personality isn't the only influence over your walking style. Your body and what it might have been through can also change your stride. Another study showed that imprisoned psychopaths were incredibly good at determining whether people had been assaulted in the past. And in 2012, Belgian scientists were able to determine whether women had regular orgasms by their walking style. Hello. 
Some people try to guess people's origins based on how they pronounce words. Is there a specialist out there that can tell who someone is by the way they walk? This is plausible since Patty Woods claims that children model their parents' pace and then assimilate it for the rest of their lives. Her use of the word model really resonates with today's guest and quote, and what it means to walk your talk and for your walk to be as authentic and as bold as your walk. If you were skeptical that a walk could be authentic because it cannot be that unique, hear this. Teams at the University of Manchester and the National University of Ireland have been working on a pressure-sensitive mat that can recognise your walk and associate it with your identity the same way a fingerprint or facial recognition device might. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this show from our brilliant conversation with Cameron Parker to learn in what your walking style says about you. I know I learned a lot and I look at the expression of walking your talk and talking your work so differently now, apart from it sounding like a limerick sometimes. If you get a chance, I encourage you to go for a nice relaxing walk today. And I hope you're not too conscious about how your pace might be revealing your personality. And above all, remember to keep a healthy posture and remember to let your mind wander as well. If you don't remember the different types of walks that we discussed, don't forget you can catch us up on colourful.com and also on the podcast, Metaphorically Speaking. But thank you so much for joining me this week. I really hope you enjoyed our metaphor. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at colourful.com, click shows or presenters, or you can email me at delia at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And please share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We really do depend on you to help us grow. That is the only way we can produce this wonderful content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. As always, please keep safe. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Manuel Pimenta. Script supervisor, Sabina Lauchopra Garcia. Production assistant and social media graphics by Ojua Osamwenke. The final programme was edited by Jonathan Woods and social media videos by Ernie Deneve, and social media direction and videos by Yuri Meniz-Tarone.